What's up, Zave? Joe, how we doing? I'm feeling good. Every time I see your dimple, I just want the world to see it. And I know this is a <laughs> podcast and I just need to describe Zave has the cutest, you know, when you see a man face, but it's like a baby face in one. Aw, oh cutie pie. If I had a dollar, you know, I try to grow the beard, look a little older and it just doesn't work. But you have a good guy face and that's good. We need more good guy faces out there. So you and your good guy face, me and my highlighter bandana, we're just giving you the visual. I love. We're here to talk about new blooms with our financial wealth. This is Money Baggage, my new favorite podcast. Ready to start? Let's do it. Welcome to Money Baggage, a financial literacy podcast brought to you by Hightower Advisors to spread knowledge about something that affects us all, money. We're your hosts, Joe Franco. And I'm Zave. And we're on an investigation to learn how to strategically deal with all this money baggage. We're going to be covering things from debt to savings to credit cards, all things under the sun, money. We're here to grow our money mindset and help that next generation move forward to learn their financial independence. Yup, knowledge as well. So let's handle this money baggage. Zave, what do we have in store today? Today it is credit cards 101, Joe. So we're taking it from start to finish, all things credit cards. This is episode four. I want to say this is episode four. For people who don't know us, let's just reintroduce ourselves. Like, allow us to reintroduce ourselves. My name is Joe. <laughs> and I'm Zave. I love doing this podcast with you because we're in two different stages in life, but we're still in the similar bracket of figuring it out. And as you say, under quotes, adulting, but (laughs) we have two different paths in life. So both of our perspectives are very different because I'm an entrepreneur. I've been since I was 20 and you're working at a great job. You work at Hightower, but you're not an advisor, right? So you're you're figuring it out as you go as well. Absolutely. I work in the marketing department and a financial in the financial industry, just figuring it out as we go. And honestly, Joe, I don't know if you ever figure it out fully <laughs> is something we're learning. But yeah, it's 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 good to learn from your perspective as an entrepreneur. And I'm happy to share my newly workforce uh, perspective as well. Yeah. And I think it's just a testament to how we're both learning constantly. This is a podcast that I wanted to do because it would make me research more. Financial literacy is something that is a long term. It's almost like a habit, right? One of the first things I started doing when I realized I wanted to learn more about money was just get on some news articles, look at what's happening in the economy, listening to money podcasts. So if you're here, congratulations, you're one step closer to unpacking your money baggage. We are certainly doing this as a personal research project. This isn't financial advice, but this is us going down this rabbit hole of getting facts, answering questions from Instagram, and just having a good old chat about a topic people usually avoid. We're all in it together here, Joe. You and me are in it together and all of our listeners. So credit cards, what's your initial take on credit cards? My initial take being pretty global and having a bunch of international friends is no one does credit cards like the United States of America. So If you are a U.S. citizen and you're listening, it doesn't even come to you as a surprise that you probably have a credit card or your family's had credit cards since the 50s. It's run most of our financial, you know, situation. It's cultural. But when you start traveling abroad, you realize it's really not the same. My British Mm -hmm. friends joke, they get a credit card, they'll get 
like a candy every $10,000 they spend because it's such bad benefits. Like the rewards are not the way that it is in the States. And in the States, it's a whole world. It's a whole game of benefits, rewards. And then there's also the losing side of the game, which is extremely high interest rates. And people can get themselves into a lot of trouble with credit cards. Oh, 100%. So have you had credit cards inside America and outside then? You've traveled a bunch. So I never had a credit card outside of the States. I remember I got a French bank account once. But yeah, it's just not a cultural thing. Credit cards really in most countries are not as popular. So all my credit cards are obviously from the U.S. Also, you need to be a citizen in most cases to have a credit card. Right, right. Yeah, I'm a Brazilian citizen as well. But even in Brazil, people have credit cards, but it's not it's not the same, which is good that we're talking about this episode being in the States. We have a lot of information on how it works in the States. Do you have credit cards right now? I do. I have two credit cards. I have had experience with credit cards from a young age. I think, like you said, everyone does have credit cards in America, whether you're an authorized user in high school for one of your parents' accounts, or you're just getting going in college, whatever, which kind of brings us into our first fun fact of the day that eight out of 10 adults in America have at least one credit card. Eight out of 10? Eight out of 10. I want to know who two out of 10 are that, <laughs> that, that like pay for everything in cash. Uh-huh. Right. I, we do a lot of facts here and eight out of 10 seems like a lot. But when I read that one, I was like, that's shocking. I feel like it'd, it'd be like 99% from my experience, right? I know. I do have some friends who are like debit card only. And that's a whole saving strategy that you never want to spend more money than you have. And credit cards allow you to put yourself in that dangerous situation where you could take on a bill that you actually cannot afford yet. For sure. And this is where it gets risky. But then there's the whole system of credit score, which I know we're going to get into, where it's almost like a game that you have to be an active participant in. Because in order to get a loan for a house or a car, you need a good credit score. And in order to get a good credit score, you need to open a credit card and have a good long standing. It's a catch 22, right? I wonder how those two out of 10 people are buying houses and cars. Like maybe they're just buying it in cash like me. Like just crazy all cash. People. All, yeah, just all debit, right? <laughs> <laughs> just take it out of my debit card. It's fine. So speaking of credit score, should we chat about that a little bit? Absolutely. The credit score is one of those things I used to say like bad credit ain't cute. It's not. It's not. You got to know your credit score. A lot of people don't even know their credit score, which hopefully after this episode, everybody will be looking up their credit score. I need to look up my credit score after this. Like, oh my God. Check your credit score. (laughs) Okay. Hit me with the fact. What's the fact on credit scores? So I guess first things first, a credit score is a number that ranges from 300 to 850. It determines your credit worthiness, right? So credit worthiness is a measure of how likely you will default on your debt obligations according to a lender's assessment or how worthy you are to receive new credit. Your credit worthiness is what creditors consider before they approve any new credit. The higher the score, the better a borrower looks to potential lenders. So credit scores are pretty important if you're planning on using more credit in the future, pretty much. Yeah, the translation for this fact is exactly that. If you want to have any kind of loan for education, for a home, for a car, you need to have a healthy looking credit score. You can actually, I mean, I know that when you file for bankruptcy, it cleans out, it just like zeros your credit score. So then even if you're in a financially bad situation, you can file for bankruptcy, which wipes out all your credit, but then you still cannot borrow things because it takes a while to build up your credit score. 
Mm-hmm. It's time. very scary. The credit score system is very scary. I remember when I was 18, my mom was like, you need to get a credit card and start managing it so you can have a long history of credit because the longer you have credit cards in your name, that's one of the main factors that allows you to start growing your credit. What else contributes to your credit score? Because it's not just credit history. Absolutely. So there's five main factors that will kind of depend on your credit score is payment history, total amount owed, length of credit history, type of credit, and new credit. Okay. So payment history is like, are you paying your bill every single month on time? Are you on time? Yep. Total amount owed. I think there's a percentage as well that it's like you should only have 20% in credit or something like that. I, I Don't quote me on this, but total amount owed is like you shouldn't have so much credit because if you have a massive amount of credit, it's actually going to impact your credit score negatively. An article by CNBC, experts generally recommend maintaining a credit utilization rate of below 30%, with some suggesting that you should aim for a single digit utilization under 10% to get the best credit score. So that means if you have a limit of like $1,000, you should be having like less than $300 of credit if you're doing the 30%. Yeah, it's always been an interesting one for me that it's kind of, you want to have something in there, not zero. So it's like, you got to keep showing that you're consistent and paying off the right numbers rather than just clearing it out one month and then not the next. You know what I mean? Let's keep going on the credit factors. And then I want to tell you how I feel about this because, you know, that's how we do this podcast. <laughs> so Absolutely. the length of credit history, this was my mom whispering in my ear like, hey, you should probably consider getting a credit card now that you're 18. And I got a little baby one. You can get small amounts like $200 was my limit at the time. Mm -hmm. The types of credit also is interesting because you can have different kinds of credit. You could have credit cards, you could have loans, all that stuff and new credit. So if you're opening a new credit card every month, that's going to affect your credit score negatively because it's going to be a hard credit inquiry, which like anytime somebody looks up your credit score as a hard inquiry, it actually hits your credit score. Crazy. It's crazy. That is crazy. Like, why isn't it just out there in the open, right? <laughs> oh, it's so rough. Living, adulting in quotations is so rough. It's so hard. And and I think one of the biggest things is that those percentages vary of those five factors. So, you know, you have to, I mean, without knowing always and in full, prioritize which one's the most important. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's so much to keep in mind. So then this brings me to the question of how do you make your decisions of what credit cards? You have two credit cards. How did you choose them and why? And how's it going for you? I think just listening to my parents on, you know, what what credit cards are smarter to get and stuff like that. I feel like in college, I was a little bit more loosey-goosey when I wasn't making as much money with my credit cards, like going on a trip and putting it on my credit card and then being in debt for months and months, you know, affecting my credit score. But I like to keep it low. I'm probably on the side of most things in debit and just doing small things to build that credit um, now. And also travel benefits are the other thing. I know, I know. The big the big P word, the points. <laughs> points the and points. benefits. <laughs> B and P, my favorite. It's like a PB and travel sandwich. <laughs> I will say though, um, I got to give a good shout out to my mom for uh, making me a authorized user on one of her credit cards when I was like 16. And it was just to, you know, start learning how to use a credit card and how to start paying it off. And this was for things like, subscriptions, you know. Yes, yes. You're a little younger than me. So you grew up in subscription topia where there was a subscription (laughs) for like socks 
fresh air, like everything had a subscription <laughs> back then. I think we're on the phasing out of that era. But yes, it is important. Like with all financial things, the learning of it is very important. So you can see how it moves. You could see the behavior because it's this thing that happens habitually. The minute you get a credit card, you're going to have that bill every month unless you don't use them, which is a choice that you can make as well. Because again, like I'll hide some of my credit cards for myself. How many credit cards do you have, Joe? Oof. Um, so, uh, he, he, uh, it's too personal. <laughs> no. So because I'm an entrepreneur, as I say in every episode, this is like my opener of everything I say, because I'm an entrepreneur, I have business credit cards and personal credit cards. Mm-hmm. So as a business owner, same thing applies. Like your business operates as its entity where I could technically take out business loans. I'm not going to, and I don't want to, but the business itself has a credit report, essentially, like, are you functional? Are you making money? So I have two credit cards on my business. And then on my personal, I have two credit cards and a store card for this makeup brand that I love. They suckered me. They were like, sign up and we're going to give you, is what I said in the first episode. Uh-huh. Like, oh, sign yeah. Up, we're going to give you like $50 off and then hit you with a hundred million percent APR. <laughs> so yes, I got suckered into that one, but I'll probably close that one. Also, closing credit cards affects your credit score negatively, which is wild. So I have a question for you because I honestly have no clue how different compare and contrast, you know, the business side of things versus your personal credit cards, like managing, you know, paying it off, stuff like that. Is it is it pretty similar or? So I'm an auto pay chick, pay in full auto pay. Mm -hmm. And it took me a while to make this decision when I first had credit cards, maybe the first five years of my credit life. I was always paying more than the minimum and I had the money to pay it in full. But there was something that I was struggling with to let go of that money. You know, it was like that scarcity mindset of like, Mm -hmm. oh, do I really want to put auto pay on for paying in full? That seems like so much money to be taken out of my account every month. And then I started seeing the APR interest rates being added to my bill, which I absolutely despised. So I'm like, why am I paying more for the things that I bought when I could just pay it all in full, get the points, get the benefits, and then start playing this credit card, you know, ecosystem. So I'm a big auto pay chick. And for my business, same thing, auto pay on the business. The business, though, has more overhead expenses just because you have tech tools that you're paying for. You have trips that you need to take for business. I'm hosting a retreat and I had to fund the two coordinators of the retreat. I'm paying for their flights to go to Mexico to scout the property before the retreat starts. So the the credit card bills are just a lot higher on the business side, but I still pay it in full. Every now and then I'm like, okay, let's like, you know, cut this in half, but I haven't done that in a long time. It gives me a little bit of peace of mind to just have things on auto pay, but it means I just need to be making money consistently to have the liquid cash to pay the credit cards. How about you? Okay, I'll be honest. Like I pay above the minimum, but I'm not a pay in full kind of guy because yes, that scarcity mindset. I'm scared of losing the money. I'm scared of our savings episode we just had. What if something crazy happens and I don't have enough liquid cash to cover it? Stuff like that. So then you're paying the APR, you're paying the interest. Have you looked at how much interest you're paying? Not as recent as I should, Joe. Not as recent as I should. (laughs) Well, listen, it's like you go and you get a bagel and it's $5. Mm -hmm. And if you don't pay it in full, suddenly that same bagel, you're going to pay $7 for it. Like that's the APR in translation. You're buying a $7 bagel, which you would never do 
in reality, you would think that that's ridiculous. But with a credit card, if you do not pay it in full, that's really what you're doing. Absolutely. Joe, I'm, I'm paying I'm for my bagels and debit and debit only. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you, though. You did bring up a fun acronym just for our listeners here. And APR is an annual percentage rate, which is your interest rate on your credit card. Which is, you, you know, when you get a credit card and there's literature, like 25 pages of paper that no one ever reads. So <laughs> somewhere somewhere in that scroll of information is your APR number. Mm, and deep that's, in the fine print. It's in the tiny, tiny jargon-filled fine print. But that's a very important number because the higher that number the more money you're paying for that bagel. So that bagel that was once $5 could be up to like $9 in some ridiculous cases if your APR is super high. So again, the credit cards with the lowest APR, the better. The better. So right now the average APR on credit cards is just above 18%. So again, you're paying 20% more for that bagel if you're it's not paying. If you're up, not paying, yeah, you're paying $7 for that $5 bagel. And that's if you get a low APR. That's the average, you know, and someone my my age probably a little bit higher. <laughs> Are we really about to pay $7 for a bagel? Okay, anyways. So, we're not, Joe. We're paying it in full. We're using we're paying, debit when it comes to bagels. <laughs> or use credit and pay, pay in full. Pay your credit card bill in full. Okay, so what's up with the generations, because I know that credit is something that also changes based on the time we are in history. As credit cards started in the late 50s, it was all the rage. And then with the economy rising and falling, people have different feelings about credit cards. What is normal? What is essential? What is customary? Is there a difference with the different generations and credit card use? I'd say so. I think a lot of it has to do with, like you said, all the rage and people learning from their parents and grandparents and seeing how hard dealing with credit cards were. So potentially this younger generation is being a little bit smarter, taking on a little less debt through credit cards and stuff like that. But I'll just give you the numbers straight up and you can tell me what you think. So Gen Z, the average credit card debt is $1,963. Which makes sense. They're fresh out the gate. They're barely legal to like even get credit cards. Their limits are probably two grand. So it makes sense. you know. <laughs> Millennials though, pretty big jump, $4,322. That's a lot of money. It's a pretty big gap between the Gen Z and the Millennials, honestly. And I guess for, you know, audience sake, like I kind of consider myself a Gen Z. You're pretty much a millennial, right? I'm 100% a millennial. Yeah. Somewhere in this. So Gen X is another big jump is $7,155. Which is a lot. That's the highest. And then we start going down with baby boomers at $6,043. And then the silent generation with $3,000. $177. So a few things could have happened. The baby boomers probably had a little bit of risk aversion because of, I don't know, seeing their parents and the connection to relation, the relationship with credit might mm. not have been so friendly the way that millennials and Gen Xers are. Or it could be that you're later in life, you've worked your butt off and you've been able to pay your credit card bills. So now you're not carrying as big of a balance, but it's still $6,000 is not a little bit of a balance. For sure. Learning as you go. And I think, you know, it might be this endless cycle of seeing your parents build up credit. You know, maybe these Gen Xers are seeing their baby boomer parents do a decent job handling their credit, which has made this generation rack it up in credit card bills which in turn is making millennials see through their Gen X parents 
maybe I should take a step back here a little bit, you know? We're trying to like sociologically analyze the, the relationship of credit and generational sentiments. But no, I think there is something to be said that every generation has a pretty high number. $2,000 is not a little bit of money to have as credit card debt coming out of the mm-hmm. gate as a Gen Z. Absolutely not. Like if you're making $80 payments, that's a long time that you're going to need to be paying to pay off $2,000. And then again, not to mention that interest that you're paying off as well, or that's being tacked on. So the other thing that can be said is we all have credit card debt, it seems. We're in it together. I mean, we can all take a deep breath. We Most of us have it. Eight out of 10 of us. Shout out to those two that don't, but we all have it. <laughs> so what about credit card amounts? Like, is there, because I know someone asked this question that I'm curious about. I, I've always wondered about this. How many credit cards are too many? Is there sort of like an equation that we should be looking at? Sure. And I think that, you know, ties us into this whole debt to income ratio situation. I'll start out by reading the definition for you first, and then we can talk about how much is too much credit, credit cards, credit limits, etc. So the debt to income ratio measures the amount of income a person or organization generates in order to service debt. The debt-to-income ratio is the percentage of your gross monthly income that goes to paying your monthly debt payments. So taking your income, what percent of that is going to your debt? A DTI of 43% is typically the highest ratio a borrower can have and still get qualified for a mortgage, but lenders generally seek out no more than 36%. So what that means is that if you have 43%, let's say your income is $1,000, a month and your mm-hmm. debt is 43% of that or You're higher. Not a house. <laughs> yeah, or higher. You ain't getting the house. The house is not happening. That's a lot of debt as well. So it's basically like, yeah, every dollar you make, 43 cents is actually debt, like in technicality. I mean, yeah, almost half. That's That's crazy. I think we're going to try to aim to stay below that for sure. And I think that's the hardest thing is you get into the hole like that and you're paying 43% of what you're making. It's hard to get out of that hole. You know what I mean? It is hard. Well, I was just thinking about when I had college loans and I would look at my credit score religiously. I was always on the credit bureaus. So you can get one annual credit report for free as a U.S. citizen. And I would do that. And it gives you all of the history of everything that's ever happened in your credit. So a credit report is different than a credit score. Very essential things to know. Credit score is a number. A credit report is a true report with three different credit bureaus that scrape the history of everything you've ever had out in your name from student loans to credit cards, all of that. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I had my student loans, my DTI was massive. Like I had so much because I owed so much because of my loans in comparison to what I was making, that it wasn't the brightest time in my financial history. (laughs) Sure. But hey, five years, it's not bad. We all have it. Yeah. Yeah. We all have it. Okay. A low DTI ratio indicates sufficient income relative to debt servicing, and it makes a borrower more attractive. So again, we all likely have debt. It's not a matter of do you have debt or not. It's how much money are you making in comparison to the debt you owe. Which kind of you know brings you back to that whole paying in full thing, which will lower your DTI in the long run, which means you'll be paying less in the long run too because of those tricky interest rates. But you know, funny thing about credit cards, which my friends from abroad came to the States and they, all of them, different countries, they come and visit me and they all say how 
insane it is that we get credit cards in our mailboxes. So if you do have a good credit score, you'll get like unsolicited credit cards in your mailbox. It's like, Joanna, you qualified for X amount of 100 different credit cards. Like if you sign up today, you get 30,000 points. And I'm, it's tempting, but it's crazy how much of an industry it is in the States in comparison. Like in Europe, that would be a violation of privacy. It really would be. Totally. It's like, wow, they make it as easy as possible to sign up, right? But that's the thing. So when you have a good credit score, financial institutions will see that you're good for your word and they will want you to be a client because you have a good credit score and a low DTI. So you'll be more of an attractive borrower. But then you get into the risky thing of like, when do you know it's enough? Like what number of credit cards? I think two credit cards for me is enough. Two credit cards on personal, two credit cards on business. Two is solid. Have you had, what's like the most you've had like at one time? I think I've had like four on personal. Not Mm -hmm. proud of it. (laughs) Not proud of it. (laughs) Yeah. And then I slowly went and closed them because even though I knew it was going to hit my credit score, I was like, I don't want to be paying these annual fees, which is another thing about credit cards that a lot of people don't know. A lot of them have hefty annual fees. Some credit cards do not. So it's just important to know it's not just APR that you're paying. It's not just the interest rates. A lot of times it's an annual fee that you're paying. Credit cards is like dating. You have to be like Goldilocks. Like which one is right for your lifestyle? Sure. You got to do your research, know what you really need, know what you really want, right? So question for you, Joe. Another question from our audience. Have you made any big credit card mistakes in your life? Oh, the amount of store credit cards that I should have not signed up for and then went to like collections for $5 bill. Mm -hmm. So collections is like the absolute (laughs) worst thing that could happen to your credit. I swear to you, Zave, one time and I was on a trip. This is the other dangerous part about my lifestyle. I'm traveling all the time. So I come Mm -hmm. home and it's like they're about to take my house away for a $5 bill that I forgot to pay in 2017 from like some (laughs) store in the mall that's gone out of business. I'm like, literally, what was I thinking (laughs) taking this card out? My biggest mistakes were just taking out out too many credit cards and losing track of them. How about you? I definitely get that. (laughs) They get you at the store every time. Well, do you want to? We talk about all the time, right? I think my biggest thing was just putting too much on my credit card before I could afford it when I shouldn't have. I think I said it like uh, in college, a couple trips were on the table that I just couldn't afford yet. You know, let future Zave think about it in the future and just go on this trip on your credit card, which, you know, just doubles down on how much you're going to have to pay back and doubles down on the stress. And was it really worth it? Probably not. You were able to relax knowing you had a massive credit card bill you couldn't afford. You were, like you're telling me you could <laughs> actually take a vacation with because I wouldn't be able to relax. I'd be in the beach like with my laptop open applying for jobs. Twenty one year old Zave was stress free, Joe. He really was. <laughs> Not Good the most responsible, him. but he was stress free. But learned from every mistakes. I think there's uh, one more thing that's. A fun one to talk about that I think we mentioned earlier are benefits, credit card benefits, you know. Credit card benefits are tricky because it's, again, very, very subjective to your lifestyle, to your situation. And the game is changing. It's not even a game. Like the credit card institution is always evolving. So benefits change, point systems change, all of that changes. People make a whole living off of just credit card information. There are so many influencers that talk about like, oh, this new credit card came out with this bonus, sign up. And so 
it's a whole world if you're interested in getting into it. For me, it's always been about looking at the credit cards that align with my lifestyle choices. So travel credit cards. I'm sure you have dining credit cards since you're a restaurateur. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I love the miles. I love racking up miles. That's probably my favorite thing. Do you think that like the pandemic has changed, you know, this whole benefits system and stuff like that pretty for the better or for the worse or at all? What do you what do you think? Well, I think for the pandemic, my points were looking a little stagnant because I was going nowhere. <laughs> I was going nowhere. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm not really sure. I'm curious because I think we're coming out of the mentality of lockdown still, right? Like we're all kind of walking around like, is this really life still? So it's kind of a blur. I do think people were spending a lot more because of the checks that they were getting in the mail. I did a little bit of research on that. I won't read the whole paragraph, but it kind of revolves around how like airlines and hotels you could use points on and they had like super duper strict cancellation fees before the pandemic. And sometimes you want to get those points back. And I think one of the things for the better is that they are getting a lot more lax. It's a lot more easy to cancel. It's a lot more easy to get into these uh, VIP programs and stuff like that because it's harder to travel nowadays. It is. It is. You know what the irony of it all is, though? This is a financial story. This podcast is a financial investigation of money as a story. Credit cards is one small example of this whole financial world. The people who are not able to pay their APR, their high interest rates, and every month they get hit with these bills, the people that are paying $7 for the bagel are actually funding the benefits for the people who can benefit from points. Isn't that mm. ironic? And it's sad. And it's like, that's the world though. So like whenever you're paying $7 for the bagel instead of five because you couldn't pay in full or you didn't pay in full, you're actually funding people upgrading their flights to first class using their points. Wow. I never thought about it like that. And that's why we don't pay $7 for no bagels. It's true. It's true. Just pay it in full. Use cash. <laughs> so let's wrap up this episode. I love this talk. This is a big one, but... I think the conclusion is just do your research, like all of these topics, dive into what credit cards you currently have, look at the APR, mm -hmm. see what the benefits are. If you can sign up for auto pay, the more you pay, the better it is. And obviously try not to take on more debt than you can actually afford because that'll create unnecessary stress. Absolutely. Credit cards are like dating. You got to find the right fit and what works for you, Joe, right? And you know how hard <laughs> dating is, y'all. Oh my. <laughs> That's for another episode. <laughs> Don't settle. That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening to Money Baggage, a podcast brought to you by Hightower Advisors to bring financial literacy to everyone listening. So thank you for listening. Don't forget to give us five stars wherever you get your podcast info from. Don't forget to slide into Joe's DMs. They're always open. Ask as many questions. We will be happy to answer on the air. At Joe underscore Franco. I love reading your anonymous questions because it makes us feel like we're not alone. We're all answering these questions together. We are on a journey and we will be back next week with more goodness to unpack all this money baggage. We'll see you there. Bye, Zabe. I miss you already. <laughs> I'll see you soon, Joe. <laughs> this podcast is a simulation and is for educational purposes only. Joe Franco is presenting the information in this podcast in her capacity as a consultant to Hightower Holding LLC and its affiliates and subsidiaries and not as an actual client of Hightower Advisors LLC. The material provided in this podcast is prepared and researched by its author and does not service as an endorsement or a reflection of the views of Hightower Holding LLC or any of its affiliates. 
Hightower does not make any representations or warranties expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for statements or errors or omissions or results obtained from the use of the information contained herein. Hightower Advisors LLC is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC member FNIRA SIPC.